This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Jeremy Vaney, once again, filling in for Whitley Strieber. Um, I have an exciting guest this week. Her name is Judy. She is an experiencer, and... I can just tell from the brief interactions we had, we're going to have a great show. Because I was like, please come on the show. So, And she said yes, which is like, when does that ever happen? So, Judy, uh, thank you for doing this. Um, I can't wait to get into all of this craziness with you, high strangeness life of yours. Um, but first of all, just thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome, Jeremy. I'm happy to do it. Um, it's going to be fun. Thank you for asking. Um, so the reason that you intrigue me is, uh, that you're another case of what seems to me like on paper, what you have described so far as your experiences seem one way, but your takeaway from them goes another, and it seems incongruous, but maybe it isn't. Um, so first, why don't we get into your experiences, um, what are they? Are what what would you consider them to be and when did they start? Um I've had all kinds of different experiences, um, from paranormal seeing ghosts um to the alien thing, which um really didn't start really I wasn't really aware of it starting until nineteen ninety five when my husband and I were visiting Maui. Um that was kind of like the first time the alien thing came along. Um, so I, I guess you were kind of intimating that these things are incongruous. I, I see it as a, on a continuum, paranormal, extraordinary experiences. Um, they're all kind of along the same, the same line for me. Um, you know, I've had sleep paralysis kind of things happening to me since I was a small child. Um, I would feel buzzing around my lips, mostly in my face. And I would, when I was young, I would have um, positive experiences. I would have dreams where I was flying or swimming underwater um, and breathing. And um, I found that very enjoyable as a child. Um, at the same time, I had a lot of stress in my life as a child um, and even trauma. And um I don't know. I kind of lost the thread of your question. Well, <laughs> you want to know what my experiences are. Yeah, I'd like to know what your experiences are. Specifically, let's go with the so-called alien abduction experiences. Because what I, what I find in, in, incongruous, am I even pronouncing that correctly, uh, is not that you've had variety of experiences, but that your so-called alien experiences sound, quote-unquote, typical. But I feel like your takeaway from all of this doesn't match that. Like if you, like it's almost as if you don't believe the narrative that you're living through or that the narrative you're living through is producing a different outcome in you than you would expect. So like, for instance, when I read books about, well, even the old Bud Hopkins hypnosis books, right? Where he would retrieve what he tries to pigeonhole as little alien doctors doing little alien doctor things, usually malevolent or at least, you know, don't care about you, um, it seems like almost to a person, their personal outcome is that they cherish nature more. Like those two things don't go together. 
And yet it happens time and time again. And then his answer to that is like, you know, something along the lines of like, well, of course they would want you to believe that. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> there's always like some other nefarious reason why you have benefited from this malevolent interaction. And so I'm just wondering, it, it sounds similar to, to you in a way. Um, but if yeah, I'm wrong, yeah. we'll find that out. So yeah, no, well, your... I think. Go ahead. Yeah, I think side by side, what, what happened, I'm not sure I even related one to the other until I actually started responding to you when I listened to your um, podcast. And, but I do think that um, I was really set on a spiritual path after um, what happened in Maui. And what happened with, in Maui really kind of started with me waking in the middle of the night, opening my eyes and I'm awake. Um, I opened my eyes and there was a gray right here. And I wasn't one who really read about these things or really, I mean, I know it's in the culture. I, I acknowledge that, but I wasn't really interested in that kind of thing. And in my mind, I thought it was um, a God of the Island who was upset with me for getting a piece of pumice stone down at the beach in the morning that I was going to bring home to my little boy who was waiting for me on mainland. And um, so I took it that morning, I took it down to the beach where I'd found it the day before and I knelt in the sand and I put it back and I said, please forgive my ignorance. I didn't know what I was doing was wrong. I know that now I'm returning that which was not mine. Please forgive me. I was just a little prayer said in all sincerity. And then that night I had a dream. Don't go anywhere, Dreamlanders. We're coming right back. Have you ever read Communion? Or have you never read Communion? It's out in a new edition. Very powerful, a subtly new cover that reflects the fact that the visitors are now looking back at us because they truly are. You can get it from the unknowncountry.com store as a Kindle, as a beautiful, sumptuous paperback, or as an unabridged audiobook read by me. It's the first time in the whole life of communion that it has been read in full in audio format. And believe you me, I felt that reading. I put my life, my memories into it, and I trust you can hear it in the voice. I sure felt it while I was reading. So get communion, listen to it, read it. Communion is of central importance to all of our lives. This is a brief excerpt from an interview with two contactees who had an 11-day close encounter experience and are now willing to speak about it really for the first time. To hear their whole interview and many others, subscribe to unknowncountry.com. Here's the excerpt. Did you see the man's face? Yes. Uh, actually, that one is very clear to me. It was kind of longish, and uh, he didn't look he didn't look completely human, but he because he had very, very thin hair almost non-existent but he was young I believe that it was kind of blonde and he was very tall like 
six, at least six feet, and he was so thin that he looked kind of strange. And what happened then? Well, he wanted me to to go with him or to stay with him. He wanted me to stay with him on the ship. And I'd been married for six months, and I wasn't about to go running off to stay on the ship. Now, surely you want more. You must want more. And there is more. Not only this contactee interview, but many others, many of them just as extraordinary on unknowncountry.com, plus everything else that we offer, my audio books, the meditations, the talks on the key, William Henry's wonderful revelation show in its entire run, Ann Streber's brilliant and magical mysterious powers, and so much more. Hours and hours of listening pleasure. Learn from the meditations on the site. Really learn because they're real and they're valuable. Subscribe to unknowncountry.com right now. Go to unknowncountry.com. Click on the subscribe tab. We are running very low on new subscribers now, and that should not be. It should not be happening. So you do it. You go there and you do it today. And it's a dream that does not fade with time. So it's a different kind of a dream than a normal dream. And I was at uh, Tall Falls, and it was a place that we actually went to a couple days later on our trip. And it's in Hana. And it's the falls that you walk up through the bamboo forest to get to, and there's seven pools. And in my dream, I'm at this place, this falls, with these pools of water coming down. And there's this ethereal music and this humming in the air. And it's kind of like vibrating like like a symphony, like a string instrument, you know. And you can feel it in your sternum and you can hear it and you really feel it mostly. And, um, and there's this line of people that are going up along the cliff to the right. And I'm looking up this line of people. And at the top of the line, at the end of the line, there's three or four tall white people, beings, and um, they seem to be addressing each person that comes up. But I'm sort of like not in a normal state, right? I was, this is a dream. Um, but it's more than a dream because I still, 24 years later or more, um, I still remember the details of the dream. And so I stand in line and I, I get up to the beings. And when I get up to them, um, they have overly large human like eyes. They're very tall. They're very white, like glowing white. And, um, I just, I just gaze into their eyes. Um, and I don't know. I mean, it it was really a feeling of love. It was a feel, it was a good feeling. It was, um, a connected feeling. It was kind of like a oneness experience. Um, not really sure how to explain it, but, the dream just sort of ended there. Um, but I've remembered it all these years. So when we got back home, I had, um, I had another experience. I think I, I wrote this to you. Um, I had an experience where I, I woke up in the middle of the night and I look at my doorway and there's this blue light out in the hall 
And I'm thinking, what is this blue light? Where is it coming from? You know, is it a car passing by, but it's very blue. And I'm trying to like figure out what this blue light is. And I sort of fall asleep. And then I open my eyes again and I look in the doorway. There's this tall, skinny being. And I'm like, what is that in the doorway? And the next thing I know, I'm like waking up again. And there's two of them. And they're like at the end of my bed. And then a third time I open my eyes and it's right next to me on my left. I'm right next to my bed and it's extending its arm toward me. And it's the segmented finger and it's coming toward my face. And now I'm realizing that I'm paralyzed. I can't move. I can't, I can't say anything. My husband's right there. I can't even reach out and wake him up. And something is pressed into my nose and my head is pressed back into the pillow and it hurts, but I can't do anything to stop it. And that's where that memory ends. And in the morning when I wake up, my, my eye is watering. My nose is draining for like three days. And um, I, I tell my husband, I think a spider crawled into my nose when I was sleeping. Cause look, you know, look at this. And it's like, it, it hurts and it's all puffy and red and draining. And, and he's like, Oh, your body will take care of it. He's getting ready to go to work and <laughs> off he goes. And I'm, I'm kind of left wondering, you know, what that, what that was. And, during the day, I didn't have to go to work that day. And during the day, I remembered in pieces, first a spider, but no, it was, it wasn't a spider. It was, it was an arm. It was a segmented arm. It was, it was, and then I started like backwards getting the memories coming back and I'm like, holy crap, what was that? So fast forward a year or two and I've got TMJ issues and I'm getting some films of that area, which happened to be sinus films. I was an x-ray tech. And I told his partner, because I'm in the viewing room with them when we get the films done, and things were still done on films back then. They're not digital. They weren't digital yet. And I'm like, to his partner, I'm like, it's right here. It's right here. And he puts up the film and we're like, yeah, there it is. Um, There's like a little grain of rice right there in your right maxillary sinus. And I'm like, oh my gosh, is this real? Um, so that's kind of like when you the say first couple grain of rice, was it an actual grain of rice? Did you have it examined? I did not have it examined. No, it was something that my body had walled off. It had been there for a year or two. Um, let me see. Um, we moved, we moved from Syracuse in 97, 95. So it was, it was, it was a year and a half. It was a year and a half that it had been there. So my body had taken care of it. It had walled it off. And I also had a scoop mark, which I didn't even know about until I read something about that years later. I'm like, oh, I do. And it was on the same side as the, the thing. Hmm. I mean, no, I didn't have it taken out. Um, I did try to get the films just last year. I got interested in trying to figure out what, what has happened to me. And um I called the hospital and they said, no, records from that far back. Everything's digital now. They're gone. So I've kind of half wondered if I could get films again and see if it's still there. Hmm. It's something I could could pursue perhaps if I um, if I said, you know, if I said I had something going on, you know, like with my sinuses. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I think about things and I don't do them sometimes. So <laughs> join the club. Um, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Because how far down the rabbit hole do we want to go, Jeremy? Dreamlanders, stick around. We'll be back after this. I'd like to tell you a wonderful story. It's a story about my wife, Anne. 
She passed on in 2015, an hour after she died. She began to come back. Now she's with us, and you can learn more about this and what it means to you and what it can mean to you so much more than you may think. Get the Afterlife Revolution. Get it today. You can read it on Kindle as a book. You can listen to me reading it as an audio book. It's a beautiful journey into a new way of understanding death and life. And yes, afterlife. There's a reason that Dr. Gary Schwartz, one of the great afterlife investigators in the world, says it's among the most convincing cases he has ever encountered. Afterlife revolution. Don't miss it. Uh, well, let's get to the, the other thing that you had mentioned about um, not wanting the grays to mess with you because you have kids or not wanting them to mess yeah. with kids. What was that experience? That was when, okay, so I had secondary infertility. And so in 1998, after we moved, um, I had been trying to get pregnant for about five years. We'd been married five years and I was turning 35. And um, we went and we went to Boston and did IVF and we put four embryos in and I got pregnant with twins. And I had bleeding very early on. They gave me shots of pregnizone to keep them in. Um, and then at 22 weeks, I started having preterm labor. So I was on strict bed rest for most of my pregnancy. I delivered at 35 weeks. So after my fourth month is when things started happening with being taken and what would what was happening at first was I would see a blue light in the room and I'd be like, that's really weird. Now I'm not connecting any of this to what happened, you know, with Hawaii or, or in Syracuse, um, not connecting any of it with what's happening there and um, consciously. And what's happening is I see this blue light come into the room and I'm like, that's really weird. I'm like half awake, half asleep. And I'm like, Oh, it must be the light from the VCR. VCR has a red light, has a green light, doesn't have blue light. I don't know, but that's what my mind told me. But one night, and this, this was, this was the one that I remember the best. And it started when I was awake. It didn't start when I was asleep. I woke up to use the bathroom in the middle of the night and I walked by the window next to my bed and I saw that there was light outside. And I said, oh, it must be morning already. And if you've ever been pregnant with twins, Jeremy, you'll know it's, you don't sleep well. <laughs> so, <Keep that> in <laughs> mind. <laughs> you know, I, I was awake a lot, you know, up and down and I didn't know what time it was. So I went into the bathroom and I'm looking out the window there and I'm like, oh, the sky is dark above the tree line. That's really weird. So I'm walking back to the bedroom, back to my bed. And I'm standing in my window next to the bed. I'm looking into my backyard and I see the, the lotus locust tree. There was a tall locust tree behind our sunroom in our backyard. And it's kind of like over there. And I'm looking at it and the trunk of the tree is lit up with a bright white, bluish white light. And I follow it and I look up into the canopy of the tree and it, there's swirling like this. And it's yellow and it's orange, it's green and it's blue and it's white and it's just swirling colors. And I'm just standing there thinking, what 
is this? What is this? And I'm not even, I'm not thinking spaceship. I'm not thinking aliens, nothing. I'm not thinking anything like that. I may sound unbelievable, but I wasn't. And then I start feeling the buzzing in my lips and my face and my body. And the next thing I know, I'm kind of like shifting consciousness. I'm not, I'm no longer standing in my bedroom. And the next thing I know, I am going up this column of light. Click. It's like a click and a click and a click. So click. I'm not in my bedroom. I'm in this column of light. Click again. I'm walking in this curved silver hallway with, and I know there's like two beings on either side of me on my shoulders, like right here, but I don't turn and look at them because I, I, I don't think I'm supposed to look at them. I don't know why I think that, but I, I don't. And I'm kind of like, my eyes are kind of like, we're, we're walking along this hallway and I'm kind of like looking to my right because there's nothing on my left. It's all just silver. And on my right, we, we're passing these open doorways and it's dark. They're dark rooms. And I kind of glance into one or two of them and I can see that there's like a, um, a countertop along one wall and there's like a blue light that's like glowing along the floor and there's like a couple silver tables in there. Um, and then we end up in this room that's huge. We walk into this room and it's really bright. It's like white, bright walls even. I, I don't remember it being silver. I remember it being white. And again, there's this long line of people standing there and there's like silver shelving um, with what, what I think are book bags sitting on the shelves. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I shouldn't be here. I'm on bed rest. I should not be standing here. I need to get back to bed. So I'm feeling really agitated. And I look around, I'm trying to see what's in the room. And I look around these shelves that are in front of me and the line of people's on the right of them. I'm looking around like this. And I see that there's four tall white beings standing at the end of the line. And I'm like, okay, those are the people in charge. I need to go talk to them. And so I get out of line and I walk up to them and I'm standing in front of this one and I'm thinking to myself, she looks just like Marie Osmond. She's got these big, you know, brown eyes, whatever. I don't know if they're brown, but big eyes, you know, I don't know, moon face, pale. And I just start screaming at her. And I think I'm screaming in my head. I, maybe I was screaming in my throat. I don't know. And she but says, just, back of the line, Karen. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Karen. Absolutely. <laughs> I was being a Karen. Like when you're a mama bear, you know, you're like, get me out of here. I can't, I can't be here. So I'm telling her, I'm like, these are my babies. We put them in there. You can't, you can't keep doing this. This is stressing me out. Um, I, you know, you have to stop doing this to me. This is too much. So wait, let me stop you there. When you, when you say you can't keep doing this to me in that, in wherever you are, are you in a state of mind where you know that this has been going on for a while that you don't normally I, know? Yes. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yes. Um, there's a couple things in there that I say to her that I'm not consciously aware of. One is, why am I telling her that these are our babies, not your babies? Because I had no idea that I even, that was even a thing. Hybrid program. I wasn't thinking about that. I hadn't really, I don't think I'd read about it. I mean, I don't know what, I don't know what I've read. Um, I mean, I read a lot, you know, and, um, I did read communion. Um, you know, and things are things are just in the culture, you know, whether you whether you know that you're picking it up or not, you probably are. Um, but for some reason, I was telling her that. 
Um, and I had been aware that she had been, that I had been really stressed out and that they had been taking me for several weeks and that it had to stop right now because I can't, I can't take it anymore. Hmm. And, um, that's where the memory ends. Oh, you don't remember the response? No, I just remember the, the memory ends staring into her eyes, pleading with her to understand and to let me go home. Do you remember um, when you were walking down the hall with the beings, did they walk normally? Did they walk like people? I I just had more of an awareness that they were there. I okay. did not look at them. And I was walking slowly but normally. Um, but no, okay. I don't. I don't remember any sense of how they were walking. I just know, I knew they were there. And did you say how this began? Was this a dream or, or did you actually walk out of your house? No, I was awake standing at my bedroom window when it started. Okay. And so outside your bedroom window, uh, is that tree. something anyone else can see? Like, is it a neighborhood? What What's yeah. out there? Yeah, we were in a neighborhood. There was a Catholic church behind us. There were houses all around us. We were in a small neighborhood in upstate New York. Okay. And would you say that, um, I mean, have you had experiences like with altered states of mind in your life on purpose? (laughs) Either drugs Um, or hypnosis or I don't know, even daydreaming, I suppose, counts in some way. Well, I never had, yeah, I never had hypnosis until a year ago. And I contacted um, someone because I wanted to see if I could remember anything more. And I really didn't, I, I'm not really sure. I, am not even telling you any of that because I'm not really sure if it's real or not. What I, what I remember is what's real to me. Um, so when, when you're saying things to her that imply more of a relationship than what you consciously recall, I mean, I'm just wondering, can you tell, does your state of mind there feel different than your state of mind right now? Foggier or different in any way? Yeah, it is different. It was different. Um, trying to trying to get words to describe. It's um, I, it's almost like a hyper focused sort of feeling where I was only seeing like this in front of me. Um, if I wanted like to look at those shelves that were in front of me, I really had to like look at them and concentrate. It's not like normal reality. Like I'm just sitting here looking and, you know, I can look at a point in front of me and I can tell you some of the things that I'm seeing over here, you know, in my peripheral vision, it's not quite like that. Um, and I feel different there. I felt different there. And when you were Um, in line, a line of people, were those people, I mean, no one you recognized? Again, I wasn't really concentrating on them, um, but nobody. I didn't notice anyone. There were men and women, and they were. Were they all, dressed like 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 uh, like? Are they from around the world, or are they Americans? Do you think? No, they were like people that could have been from you know my my town. Um, okay. I don't remember anyone standing out as very different. I don't remember any children in that line. They were all adults that I remember, but there were men and women. Um, so how does, cause you'd mentioned sleep paralysis before. Yeah. How does this state of mind versus sleep paralysis versus normal? Like what can, do you, can you tell the difference yeah. between those three things or articulate it? I, 
think so. Okay. So when I have had experiences of sleep paralysis, my mind feels sharp. I feel totally awake and conscious, but I'm unable to access my body. I can't, I, I, I can't move my body. I can't open my eyes. Um, what I used to do because things, things would happen after. Okay. So when I was 20, 21, I had one particular experience where I had, my house had just been broken into the night before and the police had just left that the next day when I made the report. And I went upstairs and laid down on my bed. And as I'm just resting, all of a sudden, I just close my eyes and all of a sudden I feel like I'm being pulled out of my body from my chest and I'm going into like, I see stars rushing past me. Like I'm in blackness, I'm out in the universe and I panic and I get really like, I just, I focus my mind and I'm like, no, no, no. And I feel the acceleration slow and I'm like, okay, I'm going to be okay. But I feel like I'm out of my body. And that started with a a paralysis situation. And, you know, I tried to shake my head side to side. That was one of the tricks I would try to do to get out of that state, that paralysis state. And sometimes it would work and sometimes it wouldn't. And I would just pass out and I don't know what would happen. Um, or I'd be taken. And when I was taken, I just, I had to focus my mind really hard to get myself to come back to my body. And once I felt myself back on the bed, I leapt out of bed and I didn't go to sleep for hours after that. Hmm. Um, So you said you got hypnosis. Why did you get hypnosis? You said that you, you've grown up with other types of experiences. So what about this made you, uh, nagged at you to find out more? Well, I mean, it's funny, isn't it? Like people have ghost experiences and even if they don't remember the entire thing, no one's like, I must get hypnosis to see what that ghost did. Yeah, no. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, 2.30 in the morning, I woke up once and my grandfather was sitting in a chair that wasn't there next to my bed and he passed that night and that was him leaving. And, um, you know, I didn't, I don't, I don't have a desire to do that, but the, the aliens aren't supposed to be real. All right. So if that's what I'm thinking that it was there, I got to know more information because that just does not make sense in the normal real world to me because I'm a science person. I'm educated. I'm not crazy. Um, my mother had me tested. No, <laughs> but you know, um, you know, it's just so anomalous and it's different than, um, you know, other experiences that I'd had and it was terrifying and I had no control and I wanted to know who they were, why they took me um, and what they were doing with me. And supposedly other people have had these experiences and why, you know, why, what is it? It's a huge question in my mind. Hmm. Yeah. Last commercial break, folks. I promise we're back after this. My new book, Them, has now been out since March of 2023. I would like to thank everyone for the wonderful reception. Those who have read it, who have posted thoughtful reviews on Amazon, those who have listened. It's an important book for me. And also, over the months, it has become a very strange book because if you listen to the Oversight Committee UAP hearings, you will hear David Grush saying things that 
almost sound like they were taken right out of the second part of them. And I thought to myself, how did I do that? And the answer is, I have no idea. But the book is really very prophetic. And I think you should read it if you hadn't done so. And that's what this is all about. Read it, listen to it. It's really worth your time. Jacques Vallée certainly thought so. Mitch Horowitz thought so. Jeff Kripal thought so. Leslie Kane, Diana Pasolka, and all of the others who gave it blurbs thought so. And so do an awful lot of people who have reviewed it. So pick up a copy today. Go to Amazon and get a copy. Go to Audible and get the audio book. Listen to them. Read them. It's a whole new vision of how we should think about the close encounter experience. And this is getting more and more important over time. More and more important. Them. I saw the future when I was writing that book. Didn't know I would, but I did. You can read it now and see for yourself. Unknowncountry.com. It's huge. It's much more than just a Whitley Strieber book site. It contains thousands of hours of interviews, meditations, podcasts of all kinds. My original hypnosis tapes are there. You can actually hear the moment that I discovered that I at least was not alone in this universe in the office of Dr. Donald Klein so many years ago. Whitley Strieber audiobooks, Communion, Transformation, The Secret School, Breakthrough, Majestic, and so much more powerful meditations, but more even than all that, it is a community of people who are either looking to gain contact or actually in contact now. There is no community like it in the world. It is absolutely unique. Contact really is happening here. That's what these shows are all about. That's what my life and this website are about. It's real, and it can be of enormous benefit to us individually and to mankind as long as we take our part and do it our way. This is what being a member of Unknown Country is about. So go to unknowncountry.com and subscribe today. Join us and join, very frankly, the future. Um, and I guess the other sort of just filling out the architecture of this, um, when you were in Maui, had you ever been to Maui before? No, that was my first and only visit. And when you were in Syracuse, um, what was going on in your life at that point? Uh, I was working, I was working at the hospital. Um, I was working in the ER. I was an x-ray technician. Um, I was newly married. I had a son from my first marriage. We just built a house and moved into it and, and life was good. Life was, <laughs> life was good. So for any of the trickster theorists out there, let's review. In childhood, uh, some traumatic stuff happened and this paranormal stuff happened. 
And then we just heard about this, which is like it. Anytime it it just seems tr- true. Ninety nine percent of the time of people I've ever interviewed or thought about my own experiences is like any of the big sort of stuff happens at times of liminality, at times of change. You're changing a job, you're changing a house, you're getting married, you're getting divorced, you're losing a job, whatever it is. You know, somebody dies. Like I, I don't know what that is. Well, I I wonder if it's you know breaking up the the normal constrictions of your quote unquote reality tunnel sort of for a split second yeah. blasts you open to the greater ecology and then something that enters can enter perception has an allowance to do that can like come in now and be seen and go boogada boogada boo or whatever they're going to do. Yeah. Um, but it just seems like, Oh, this is typical pattern that isn't true. If this is aliens, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I had not made that connection because I, I really haven't talked to, I haven't, I haven't talked to anybody else, um, but well, I started going to Rochester a few months ago to a meetup group with experiencers. And so I have now met two different experiencers. So, um, you know, I haven't had, I have not had the exposure like you have to other people that have had this experience to make these connections. I only know what's happened to me. And um, I have wondered that, um, I have wondered if trauma, especially early childhood trauma, has had um, has had an opening effect. There's a quote that I love from Rumi that says, um, the wound is the place where the light enters you. And what you were just saying about something breaking us out of our normal patterns um, that we kind of get lulled to sleep in perhaps, Um, something comes along, something jars us out of that, and it leaves a crack for something else to come in. And I think trauma can do that. Um, Yeah, getting married, um, moving to a new house, you know. um, And it's funny that that this isn't like a prevalent, um, you know, aspect of research, because it's not like, like anytime I say it to someone who hasn't heard of George Hansen's trickster theory, for instance, it's like a, what a revelation or they want to struggle against it and go, no, that's not true. But um, we see it in movies all the time. Like every haunted house movie is about the new people who just moved in. Right. It's always yeah, the new people who just moved in. We're always telling ourselves this. And yet yeah. we don't see it. <laughs> it's like this weird fog of in our own experience. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a really good point. And I, I want to give that more thought because um, I had thought about trauma opening you up. And, I think it um, does. I think trauma, like if you think about, I think childhood trauma, especially because in childhood, you're supposed to be protected. You know who the authority figures are and they're whoever they are for you. Usually the parents are like your protection. And if there's a point where they can't protect you or they're harming you or whatever it is, I think right. like the normal thing that you're supposed to form this shell of like, okay, this is how life works. Can't form really, you know? Right. And so, yeah. and and that's, I think part of what brings us out of like um, even being extensions of the world in terms of imagination, imaginary friends and all of that sort of yeah. stuff. Like I, I yeah. feel like that kind of screws with that. <laughs> yeah. Way. Yeah. No, I, um, no, I see that. And also it's protective, right? It's a coping mechanism. Yeah. You know, what do you do when you're being physically abused and you don't want to be there? Where do you go? 
You know, you go inside, you go some, you go somewhere else in whatever way you can. And in extreme terrifying situations, real, we're not talking aliens now, we're talking, you know, people that are doing things to you. Where do you go? And I've asked myself that question many times because I really don't know where I went when certain things were being done to me. And there's a book by Lisa Miller. She's a, she's an MD and she did some work in, um, in New York city with children. And she found her research showed that there is a protective value in children who have a sense of sense of spirituality, not religion, but spirituality. And I think that may have been what protected me was that I remember as early back as three years old. See, my mother left when I was about a year old and my father moved in back into the farm with his parents. And I had my cousins and my aunts and uncles, and it was a very, you know, insular environment. But I remember when I was three and my grandparents, you know, teaching me to say my prayers at night and told me that I could talk to God directly. You know, I could just, you know, God could be my best friend. Well, that really stuck with me, and I believed it wholly and full-heartedly. I believed that I could talk to God. God was always there. God would always understand. And even though my idea of God has changed over the years um, from, you know, the the white-haired, long-bearded man that sits in the clouds to now what I believe is the animating energy that is in all things, um, and everything, every permutation in between. I was raised in a Presbyterian household. I converted to Judaism in my early twenties between two Jewish husbands. Um, I've been, I've been a seeker, you know, um, looking for a spiritual home. And, um, yeah, it's, it's really, it's, um, it's quite a tapestry (laughs) when you look at all these different, um, things that have happened and in my life, but I, I know everybody has this kind of thing, you know, all these different pieces, um, to their lives. Um, you have your spiritual life, you have your here and now life, you got to pay the bills, got to go to work life and everything in between. Yeah. And I just want to be clear that, you know, there's the, the, the skeptical or debunker sort of argument that I think is, can be true, but isn't 100% true, which is that, um, alien abductions are a cover for, abuse, especially they say sexual abuse as a child. And while I am certain that that's true in some percentage of cases, I don't think that's not what I'm saying. Like I, I think two things can happen. One, well, three, if you include that, but the other two are that something reaches out to you in early childhood and tries to form a feedback loop with you. And if you happen to be abused, all the better, because you're more likely to remain with that instead of shutting it off and going, oh, that's just dreams, that's just childhood hallucinations or whatever. But then the other thing is, and I will now, as we're recording this, I haven't released the next episode of my solo show, so you probably haven't heard this yet, but I might have alluded to it on the first one, I don't remember, but that the universe itself creates sort of Tulpas will create like whatever you're seeking spiritually, you may just find, and it may either be the real deal or it may be a thought construct of the universe pretending to be the real deal. And the way that you know the difference between the two is the thought construct tells you stuff if it tells you anything at all to further your evolution and your journey, and the other won't do that, will just be a wake up call because it knows you need to wake up out of this, not go further into it, right? Which I'll be getting into later, but I just wonder if. Um, 
And even, you know, the Buddhists have that saying, you know, if you see Buddha along on the, the road to enlightenment, kill him. Uh, right. That's, don't get attached to any. Don't get attached, but you literally might see Buddha. Like you might literally see an <laughs> illusion of your Jesus or whatever it is right. that you believe whatever in. You're, yeah. Because the universe just goes, oh, that's what you want to see? Here you go. Here you go. Validated. Yeah. Now stay with me here. Don't transcend into timelessness and anything else. Just stay yeah. in the universe. And... um so I wonder if that's like another level of, oh, discernment that we need, you know, oh, crap. Um, but that that can be f- easy, easier to do with people, again, who don't have a rigid, um, structured life, uh, either because they're creative, you know, artistically and or because they were abused as kids or whatever it is, but don't have sort of a quote unquote normal structure. Um, can these anti-structural moments actually form actually form in you so i'm saying it's not like you're just imagining like you've gone to a happy place your fantasy world that you escaped to when you were a kid but that like literally something of that bleeds out into the room you know what i mean for certain (laughs) for certain people (laughs) these thought constructs kind of come alive in some limited way and Mm -hmm. trick you into thinking that they're something else you know higher or whatever. I mean, it's all miraculous if it's true in, in some way, but one is like more authentically true and the other is like a functional illusion or a program or something. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Know. I think, yeah, no, 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 this is stretching my mind, which is something that I like to do. Um, but I want to, oh, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Oh, go ahead. No, I was gonna I was gonna comment further, but I want to hear what else you have to say about. Well, that. I just wanted I did want to ask you about hypnosis. Um, so, do you not want to talk to me about it because it's me and you know how I feel about hypnosis, or because you legit feel like it was not worth talking about? I I want to I, I would talk about it because um, I wasn't wholly convinced that it wasn't me just making something up because I I wanted to know more so much so badly that um that okay what she gave you was not a backpack it was a baby okay you know um i don't know that that's true i really just don't and um i don't want to believe that i don't i don't if you haven't noticed i'm not a person that that really likes to believe in anything in particular i don't like dogmas i um not that not that you know not that i don't believe in anything i guess but but I do like to challenge myself and what I believe, what I think I believe is true. And it just didn't, it just didn't stick with me as, as really being true. Whereas my memories of standing next to the window, fully awake, and then everything that came after the way that seems true to me, you know, and if Mm -hmm. the memory stops where it stops, that's where it stops. And if I, you know, if I, if I try to get something else out of that, maybe there isn't anything else out of that. Maybe I just went unconscious and I was asleep in my bed. Was the hypnotist um, an abduction specific hypnotist? She deals with a lot of people like that. Yeah. Could you tell from the questions if they were leading questions? Um, Like how does a backpack become a baby? Does she say, no, that's not a backpack. That's a baby or. No, she doesn't say it like that. She says, well, what do you think that is? And, and it, there is emphasis in her voice, you know, in that is leading. Um, 
you know, I'm not sure a judge would like that in a courtroom, let's say that. Um, but she doesn't overtly say, don't you think that's a baby? Or, you know, um, but she led me enough where I said, oh, well, maybe it's this, you know, and I'm, I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure. And I'm not ready to believe that. Do you remember how long, roughly, you were under hypnosis? About 30, 30, 40 minutes, I think. Because it was an hour, and we would talk for a while before. Did it feel like an hour? No. No, it felt like a few minutes. Yeah, okay. Because I had hypnosis once back in college, and that's the way Mm -hmm. it felt to me. It felt like, oh, I've only been under a few minutes, and it felt like garbage. But I... I don't remember how long I was actually under because I then she told me to just sleep after that. So I fell asleep. And so I was actually there for hours, but I had to have been under for a lot longer, at least an hour, I would say, I I would think. And she'd offered me free therapy after that. (laughs) Whatever I said must have been more than five minutes worth of garbage. You know what I mean? (laughs) You didn't even help. (laughs) But I don't remember. Like, I don't have a memory of, I only have a memory of like maybe the beginning of it. And I don't, and I was, I wondered if I was like suggested not to remember or something. Oh, but I don't uh, know. You you should have a recording of that. I mean, I do have recordings. She, she sent me the recordings of my sessions. I did it three times. Huh? Yeah, no, this, I don't think this was recorded, but I did, I did look her up uh, because I remembered her name. So years later I looked her up and she never got back to me. (laughs) (laughs) You tried. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I want to go back to childhood and just ask you, was the abuse like from as far back as you can remember, or was there a time before abuse and in that time, uh, did anything high strangenessy happen to you? Well, my mother left when I was a year old. And while that is an abuse, that was trauma. You know, imagine being a year old and your mother's just gone. Um, And nothing happened to me until my father remarried and I was six years old and I started both my father and my stepmother worked full time and I was being left in the care of babysitters. And those are the people that abused me. Um, Mm -hmm. So what was the question? (laughs) Well, what's your first, what's your first high strangeness memory and like around what age was it? Okay, so high strangeness memories. Um, I was seven, eight years old, maybe somewhere between six and eight. And um, I remember wanting to get out of the house when the babysitter was there. And I would go to the woods in the backyard behind the barn. And I'm sorry. This is already a horror movie. (laughs) Of course you had a weird experience. There was a track too in our little town. And I used to meet my girlfriend halfway. I mean, like I walked a mile, she walked a mile. We're like between six and eight years old and we're doing this, right? Nobody seems to think anything. Yeah, I was six and 69. So um, yeah, I just went out by myself and um, I would go play in the woods. And um, I found this chimney, this really, you know, this um, stone brick chimney. And I would play there and I kind of like, you know, made rooms and, and it wasn't anything that I told anybody about. But when I was there, the light was golden. And I didn't feel like I was alone. And I felt like there were little people with me. And 
I wasn't supposed to look directly at them, but I kind of sort of heard chatter, but I didn't really hear words. It was just kind of this amorphous sort of thing. And it only happened a few times when I went out there. Um, But that was, that was the only like paranormal thing aside from the sleep paralysis and the dreams of swimming underwater and breathing and flying. Um, And those were in dream state. That was, you know, falling asleep, sleep paralysis, can't move, can't wake up, falling asleep, and then having the dream of of that. Um, Um, So that that first thing, did did that stick with you? Like, is that something as you got older that you thought about a lot? Yeah, I did think about it. Um, I didn't really think much about it. I didn't, I didn't ascribe a lot of meaning to it. It was just kind of like, that was a good time. That was, you know, I felt, I felt, um, ha- I'm sorry, I have, a, I have this dog yeah, sorry. <laughs> that's bothering me. Um, it was just, uh, it was a happy time, you know, and you could say that I was missing my cousins and playing on the farm and, you know, it could have been a projection of my own mind. You know, it may not have been anything outside of myself. It might have just been me um, not wanting to be alone. I was an only child for 10 and a half years till my half brother was born. Um, it could have been just me, you know, so I, I never really I didn't even write about it either. You know, when I started trying to write some of these things down yeah. into a memoir, Um I didn't even write about it until just recently when I, I remembered it. And I'm like, well, maybe that's, there's something that's connected, you know, whether or not it's something outside myself, I don't know, but it seems to speak to this inner world that I have, you know? And these are not things that you talk to anyone about really. Like, like when I had the, when I was like three years old or whatever, and I saw a parade that didn't exist, um, I mean, that's, that's a story that I told off and on throughout my life. Cause it just seemed like a, an interesting artifact, right? Like just seemed like, the point. but yeah. so it stuck with me that way because I would retell it, but you never really yeah, talked to people book, about your experiences. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. So you never really talked um, to people. Remember I was abused and mm-hmm. I was picked on and I was an only child. And so I didn't really come out and say a lot of things to people because I was very fearful of being judged. Um, my stepmother was, was highly critical of me and I was always getting in trouble for things I didn't even realize I was doing wrong. And so I was, I was, I kept myself very small when I was growing up. Um, my one friend, I did have one friend that I may have confided that, that thing in, but I never talked to her about it as we got older. So I don't know if I did for sure, okay. but I did tell her a lot of things. So, but no, I wasn't, it wasn't like that. Like I would come out and just say, cause I wasn't, I wasn't really a normal child. I was very, very traumatized as a right. child. I'm trying to get a sense of how else you would be processing this. So you would keep these things in Would the paranormal things be as, well, I, I don't know if they would, if traumatic is the right word, but as impressive upon your psyche, let's say, as the abuse, like, would you, would you be obsessively thinking about it at any point in your, your younger life or was no. it just something that's just kind of there? 
it, I do remember thinking of, of looking forward to going to sleep in case one of those dreams happened again. I do remember thinking that when I was little thinking, oh, maybe I'll have one of those dreams again. Um, but like my dad, he had paranormal things happen to him. He said it's nothing that he could control or ask to happen. It just, these things just happened. Um, he would see things, he would know things about people. Um, and he just said he had no control over it. And that's kind of how it was for me. I really had no control over the paralysis or the dreams. Um, and if I sensed things around me when I was little, it was, you know, it wasn't anything that I thought of in my mind that I was consciously conjuring or even thinking that much about when it wasn't happening. Okay. All right, that will wrap it up for this week's Dreamland. My thanks again to Judy for doing this. My thanks to all of you for listening. Please do consider going to unknowncountry.com and subscribing. You'll get the rest of this show commercial-free, all the Dreamlands forever commercial-free, all of the Experience show that I used to do um, commercial-free. Everything's commercial-free, and uh, there's a ton of it, so, so go. Go now, unknowncountry.com. If not, I will see you again next month, and Whitley will be back next week. Take care, everyone. You've been listening to Dreamland. Be sure to tune in again next week. Dreamland is brought to you by unknowncountry.com and its family of subscribers. Our theme music is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch. Unknown Country was founded by Ann Streber. Our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrankova. Whitley Streber is your Dreamland host. And I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander.